0: Welcome to Midnight Menu Plus One. I'm Ray Kanata.
1: And I'm Margo Moss.
0: We're here at Ted's Frost Top on Claiborne and Calhoun in uptown New Orleans. Once a week, Margo and I meet here at Ted's, and we invite a member of New Orleans restaurant and food community to join us. And we invite them to bring along a friend, a plus one. We never know who their plus one's going to be. It could be a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a masseuse, a fellow restaurant business colleague. Well, in just a few moments, we're going to be talking with our special guest. And we're very excited to have with us tonight at Midnight Menu Plus One a um A man who has scaled the g n o bridge no less than three times, did you know that? <laughs> he has uh, opened restaurants in Napa Valley and Florida and New Orleans, and I'm also told that reportedly he was once beaten up by the blues great Ray Charles, so I can't wait to meet such a man but we but while we eagerly anticipate our special guest Margot and we'll be revealing who that is in a moment. I'm wondering how your your weekend went
1: uh It was pretty quiet but um it was, it was all right. My husband's band played at Ferret Fest. I know they played exciting. at 3.30, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. I, we
0: had to leave at about 1 o'clock. I, I had to miss it. Yeah. Well, I I it was it.
1: freezing. I, I was not a great fan supporter. I only lasted like five songs because uh, my fingers were freezing off and my nose. And I, I felt terrible, but they sounded great. Did and you eat at the Ferret Market? Um, no, no.
0: I love the food at Fret Market. Woody's Fish Tacos is like my favorite fish taco on the planet, and that, I always get that. But then my kids get um, the uh, this last time, last two times they got the crepes. They have that crepes. Uh, oh
1: yes, crepes a la carte. Right,
0: the one that's on the campus at Tulane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good, and they have yeah. some different things they make there that I hadn't had before at the at the regular store. So,
1: what did you have? An exciting weekend? Anything?
0: I was here at Ted's one day, yesterday,
1: for was, the for the car, car show.
0: show. Yeah, I love that car show. I met one of my best friends, Dustin, when I was here last year at the car show, and I love seeing all the old cars. Seems like there were more this year than last few times you had it. And I mean, what it was, was the
1: coolest car you had? You oh saw? well,
0: every, every time it's always the 57 Bel Air. There's, there's one that blows the rest away. It's just not fair that to me, that that the um it's called uh Dust Pearl is the color. It's like a pink and it has the fins, it's all original. And my friend Chip, Dust, Dustin's brother, owns that car. But uh, I also love that there was a purple, was that like a Oh, I don't know what I don't know what make it was, but it was awesome with the um, soup up engine. That was the hood was open the whole time. It was awesome, and there were a lot of really neat cars. So it was fun. Good. I love that event. That's a if, if if people are you gonna have that once a month? Is that the deal?
1: I think they're gonna try and uh, start having it regularly. Yeah.
0: So on Sundays, right in the mm-hmm. afternoon, that's something people should come out to.
1: Absolutely. And they can have
0: a burger and a root beer and the rest here at and Ted's. And cruise
1: the the cars.
0: And cruise the cars. Pass that's a good awesome. time.
1: Well, I think uh, our guest has walked in. All right. David Campbell.
0: David Campbell. He is, uh, I, I'm told that in addition to fighting with celebrity uh, elderly uh, blind men, uh, he served in the Marines, and he uh, climbs bridges, and he opens restaurants, and he's also a part-time server at Giacomo's, and most most recently head of his own effort, the GBC Tours in our city, the amazing David Campbell. Hi there. Welcome. Hi there.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, David, for joining us. You're
2: welcome. You're welcome. It's uh, it an we, honor to be here.
1: Can so, our producer get you a frosty root beer? Why
2: not? To get you a, All right. Thank you, producer. I know that, producer. <laughs> you know,
0: this, that's, a, that's a home recipe here. It's made in-house at, at the Frost Top from 1929 or something.
1: 1927. It's made wow. in Ohio. It's the original Frost Top recipe.
0: So Babe Ruth was on the murderer's row, the 27 Yankees winning 110 games, um, World sure. War II was many years in the future, uh, right? Like Hoover was president, and that's when this was invented.
2: 1927?
0: Yeah, who was president in years 27? before
2: the fall. Was that, was that Hoover? Yeah, yeah. Who was, the, who was the one at the helm when it all went down? I think
0: it was Hoover, yeah. Hoover? Or they t- called it Hoovervilles because of that, right? That's
2: right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh,
0: that's when this stuff was invented. That's a long time ago.
1: Yeah, Frost top Root Beer.
0: Frost Top Root Beer was being on a, invented. Please do not up make on a century.
1: It. It's not made in this Ted's Frost Top right, in right. Ohio in a brewery. And uh, Okay, but it's made just for Frost Tops, basically. Yes, Frost Top. It's their sp- wow.
2: blend.
0: That is really cool.
2: I just made some insane soup last night and had a nice little meal. It was just such a cold day uh-huh. yesterday. What kind of soup? I've never had one cooking class, but I've always loved to cook. And I think just growing up the way that I did with so many different exposures. But to me like whenever i've been asked to cook a meal my mom makes me cook all the time but whenever i cook i never tell anybody what i'm going to make essentially until i walk in the store because i'll find something that'll grab my eye and then it'll go on and on but i was at whole foods yesterday and uh this guy pat who's uh, one of the cooks at house of blues back in the, the opening team days we were really we still are a family we're really close with each other we all stay in touch and we just had a reunion and all but um he works the, uh, the barbecue line. So I was doing uh. brisket. He had brisket and all that, so he gave us a taste. We started walking. I was like, cold weather. Let's do, like, a really good soup. So I just – my brain just started clicking, and so uh, there was some cream of corn, like the, the uh, soup. You know, like the Amy's, like they have the butternut squash and all these things we yeah. had corn. But we got uh, smoked sausage, not brisket, but smoked sausage, corn, potatoes, um, cumin, fresh cilantro. I got some uh, poblano peppers um, – uh, just went back and started chopping onions, sauteed the onions and the sausage in a pot, rolled that into the with the corn uh, s- s- stew, kind of started that up out of water, and then uh, we, we did the potatoes, and then we took some patrón tequila and marinated with uh, olive oil the uh, poblano peppers and then blo- wow. charred them on the grill, chopped them up, added them into the stew, cilantro everything, and like then at the comfort. end we added uh, a block of cheddar cheese that just melted right in with that whole thing, and then I uh, diced up. Uh, jalapenos and fresh cilantro as a garnish on top it was like this wow german southwestern kind of right. you were inspired
0: to do all this because the temperature finally whiskey. dropped below like 40 degrees for five minutes yesterday right the first time all year right i
2: don't like the humidity here I hate yeah it. <laughs> well it's
0: i mean this shows you like the world's like like right now if it was 40 degrees in chicago they would be calling that balmy you know i mean it would be some of the snow would start to melt well i grew and, up in, uh,
2: growing up in belgium this to me is uh, right, the right perfect weather so I mean, I work at Giacomo's, and this, uh, this one of our hostesses, Kat, she's been there for quite a while. And I'll come into work with t T-shirt and shorts, and she'll say, David, where are your clothes? <laughs> and I'll just laugh. Like, I just don't. This is great weather. This right, is right. awesome. Well, but now, we, wait,
0: before you get much further, tell us about what GBC stands for for your tours. What is that?
2: Um, I never really figured out what I was that I wanted to do because I always like doing so many different things. If somebody looked at my resume, I think I'm crazy or... They don't believe me, or else they're like, "How? How? What in the world?" But for me, growing up the way that I did, there was just it was was just such a mix of everything. I had such an extreme of so many things, and it was fantastic. So I think as I kind of got to a point of trying to tie all these interests together, it just started to make sense. But uh, growing up, we left here when I was six, moved to Dubai. Uh, and that was insane as i tell people it was like living in a dr seuss book this is before dubai turned into disneyland it was right, right, right. you know a third world country you know with this it was yemen thing basically coming under the, gr- yeah. from under the ground like and s-
0: yeah. it's like living in the desert in saudi so the arabia or something, prayers, right? yeah. the souks. i mean i'd yeah.
2: see arabs using the bathroom in the in the beach in the ocean in the water right you know the whole right hand left hand thing all these things but then we went to belgium but my father was a marine infantry officer uh before he got married right. and my mom was a big in the culinary world and, and loved gardens and palaces and, and all the cultural things. She taught music, was a choir director at the church, all these things. So for me, it was all these different interests. So GBC ended up rolling into this uh, gastronomy, battlefields, and culture. That's these three different things to do.
0: Gastronomy, but, battlefields, and culture. Okay.
2: So like f- cultures and festivals. It actually, and it originally started as gardens, battlefields, and cuisine because my first client was the Louisiana Garden Club Federation. Ah. So I did, a, I did several tours with them. Um, doing, you know, we did cultural events. We did the Pasadena Tournament of Roses Parade. We did a Texas wildflower thing. But these are all things I did with my mother, but I also loved history. And then last one that really kind of prompted the genesis of this thing that I'm doing now. Um, so are these we, tours
0: all in New Orleans?
2: No, these are actually in Europe. But I'm oh, developing okay. one for New Orleans because all I right. realize that there's a lot here. There's a, there's a documentary on the PBS station on the local LPB, whatever, Uh, about the influence of Germans in New Orleans. And it just blew my mind. And Germany's probably my favorite country on the planet. And, I mean, I love America, too. But Germany, I I love history, and I love all of that. Uh, You know, I always loved the charm of it. And it was funny when I worked, you know, a lot of the American military veterans, I mean, Ambrose would talk about this all the time, all these American soldiers coming back from Europe after World War II, their favorite country was Germany. And a lot of Americans kind of miss that. It's, you know... Always, it's, it's Italy or it's France, you know, the more romantic places, but Germany is fantastic.
0: And what do you and, like and about so, it? So,
2: I like the order to it. I like the cleanliness, cleanliness of it. I think Texas, my dad's a Texan, so I get the Texas thing. And there's always, like, the Texas, Louisiana, or California, Texas sort of clashes that there are. But, you know, the whole don't mess with Texas, or you go into Austin and you've got this great, lots of music festivals, lots of food, lots of outdoors. It's it's really hearty culture, and that was very much the German-American influence in that area. Like the chicken fried steak is Schnitzel. It's just just evolved. But when I started to see this and started looking at the pieces, it was like, oh, my gosh. So these things started to make sense. But New Orleans, this this documentary had a lot of discussion about that. But, you know, with the Battle of New Orleans here and then the Civil War Museum, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about the World War II Museum, and that's great. And I worked for Stephen Ambrose, and and I I walked through that place and it was still the shell of a brewery. But there's still these other layers of history and to me you can't you understand more of one when you start to look at more you, you know more about a person when you get to meet their family members and it's kind of the same thing with history hmm. so one of the things that I also want to do is I mean even our story though that was affected by World war one huh. uh, the, uh, the 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 had American commander shut Storyville down because he didn't want all these US troops going off to Europe with V (laughs) D. So and then like General Pershing Street used to be Berlin Street. So they changed it to and my grandfather was Pershing's interpreter because he was a French American from living in central Louisiana. But he was he rode around with Pershing in a little sidecar and did these things, but it just all started clicking after quite a while of trying to figure out all right I like this, I like this, I like this, but to put it all into one. So, I put this beer and Battlefields tour together for Europe, and then I'm looking at doing the one here, but europe is it really it's really amazing to go there and then see how we have so much of that and right. how we've affected them back because it's not a one way street either in either direction you know but that's that's where it that's where it began so it's kind of a culmination of all these different interests and you know there's a lot of history companies or history tours that just do military so they do a great Band of Brothers tour or whatever, or you may have some really exclusive foodie tours but to really get all of it and do it all, why be in Europe and not really appreciate the great local cuisine? Any good Norlinian knows where you go eat. And you don't go eat at the touristy places on Bourbon Street. You know, you, like, go to these little hole-in-walls. Go eat a po' boy at yeah. Dama or, you know, it's off the beaten path thing. So that's what I would like to do with Europe because I know Europe and a lot of places of Europe on that same kind of level. Uh-huh. So anyway. All right.
0: Wow. All right. Well, there's about 15 <laughs> side roads I'd like to take from all that. Okay. So you, you you dropped so many names in there. So it's a it's a story. It's all a right. So journey. Sti- so <laughs> Stephen Amber. Wait a second. So you were a Marine. Yes. Reserve. Yeah. So you said okay. Yep. So how did Ray Charles beat you up? I don't understand that part.
2: I was just it was his backup. <laughs> I'm
0: exaggerating yeah, a little bit. Okay. Well, that's not much better though, is it?
2: <sighs> yeah. We were. Uh, I was. <laughs> at least they could.
0: At least they were sighted.
2: Well, I don't think they were expecting to see me and I wasn't expecting to see them because they were half clothed but they were in our tent and we were in Mallorca. That's in Spain, isn't it? Yeah, it's this little island off the coast of Spain out in the Mediterranean. It's this beautiful spot and I was working at the House of Blues and was just this eager little puppy to want to get in the music business and learn all about that and get involved and I sing in choir all the way through college as well. I love music but I always had that other part of my brain that said, what am I going to do with this if I'm not good at this? So I never pursued it as a as a something on my own but I always had respect for those that did so uh, I got to meet this artist Keb Moe uh, he was playing at the House of Blues and uh, my girlfriend wanted a picture signed for her mother so I had his name from the database and stuff and I just went over there like a cold call or whatever but I just went by and said hello and, at House of Blues or in Spain? no no at House of Blues okay, but okay. I wasn't at House of Blues this was here in New Orleans he was living here he was married to someone and was living here in New Orleans he recorded a couple albums while he was living in New Orleans okay so I got to meet him, and, and uh, they needed someone to help out with uh, their, their as an assistant. I was just like, I'll do anything. I just I wanted to learn. So he brought me on, and I started doing the tour book, and they were going to France, Switzerland, Germany, and Spain, back to Germany, and then back to the States. Okay. And I was doing this tour book, helping them put it together, going, my God, what a gift to get to do this. And the next day, I went back into the work, and he nicknamed me Junior because I was like this little – it was like nice version of Opie. But right. I was just like this clean-cut little white cracker, and – working these blues heavyweights but he said junior you want to you want to go to europe with us and i was like are you kidding me so i got a chance to go so we were in europe but we got to majorca and we were opening for ray charles in majorca just what an insane it was just an incredible experience but our drummer broke one of the drumsticks and he needed a drum stick out of his bag so i went flying into our tent to get it but they assumed our band was all on stage so i to have two dressing rooms for ray's crew so
1: so His you saw some girls naked, and they I kind of did, and, and they
2: kind of chased me out of the tent. But I wasn't trying to go. I just I was in there before I realized. My mind was just I got to get this drumstick, and I was just in the zone. But that was <laughs> that was that. <laughs> not really. Was could have been more exciting, I guess. But it was still it was it was just a you know you open with Georgia on my mind. And I'm sitting between these two Spanish PR girls, and I'm just in the middle of the Mediterranean, going. This is just slapping myself like this is this is crazy. This is crazy. And, Yes, guess life has been a lot like that sometimes.
1: So how long, you left New Orleans, you were born here? Yes. And you left New Orleans when you were six months? Southern Baptist no, six Hospital, years? I was six years old. Six years old, okay. Halfway
2: through first grade. The one and, on Napoleon?
0: Yep. Okay, yeah, that's Oshner so, Baptist now? Or, yep. Or, yeah.
1: And uh, so you, your family went, how, how what spurred them to move?
2: My dad was working for a company. Uh, I don't think they're even here anymore. They're all in Houston. But it was during the big petroleum boom. And this was uh, J. Ray McDermott. Okay. And we moved to, uh, he got transferred to, to Dubai. He, had, he, had a, he was offered a position to go with his boss to Dubai. And my dad was actually reluctant to go. And I always attribute it to my father, being the little male that I am. Sometimes we forget how strong and great, amazing women are. And it took me a little while to realize how great my mom was. But now she's um, my favorite. Uh, but she uh, she was the one that was kind of proud of my father and said, Why, when could we ever have an opportunity like this for our kids to do this? So off we went.
1: And this was in the 80s, early 80s, or 70, 70s?
2: It when was it? in 73.
1: 73. 73. 73 okay. to
2: 76, we were in...
1: And where was your mom from?
2: My mom was from a little place called Montclaw, Louisiana, central Louisiana.
1: And where did she get that uh, ambition and excitement to...
2: I think it's in the blood of of more Americans than they realize. I mean, we all come from someone in our family was crazy enough to leave home and family and tradition and all that when it was a lot harder to stay in touch and you couldn't pop on a plane to go home and all that. But my mom's family, you know, they're French and they just kind of had this wanderlust and whatever. They they all came. My mom is the only one that still lives in that town. And and after being gone very far away, but all the other ones scattered to different places around the the country. So that's what started it. Your mom's Belgian or French? My mom's American, but her, her father's French-American. He was like third generation, oh. second generation American French. Wait, so where'd the Belgium come from? We just were living there for work. Oh, okay, okay. But that was my home. I mean, from fourth grade through 11th grade, that was... We'd come home every summer to central Louisiana. We'd come back to New Orleans for a week, but we rented our house out. Oh. So New Orleans was just like a little snapshot. I knew I was from here. The only memories I had of New Orleans, house hysterical. <laughs> The really ind- indicative of the interest that I would have, but the only two memories I had of New Orleans, it's uh, three, I guess. I remember Audubon Park and the ferry trip going there, but the, uh, the other two memories that I had were of going to, um, standing in a Mardi Gras parade, freezing my tail off, standing on the tailpipe of a truck to stay warm, just going, this is not my idea of a good time. But then there was that antique store on Royal Street that has all the, uh, ah, the guns all The mosses oh, and no. the uh, <laughs> yeah, in but all that. Military, block. I, thought yeah. you're,
0: I thought you're gonna say the uh, the mosses, you know, they have an antique right, store, right, right. 300 block, right?
1: 200 block, 400 block, and 300 block. But that, ah, that shop that's I loved right here,
0: the
2: shame what's the name of the you know, the name of that? Uh, I can't remember. That's but the it was
0: greatest was, place though, with all the swords in the windows right? and all the coins. I was, and all I that. just
2: and I walked back when I was 18 or 19 and walked by that store and said, Oh my god, I know this. This is. So, I mean, and yeah, and then that, that leading into working with Stephen Ambrose, but growing up in Belgium, I mean, we skied every year on the mountain that Hitler's house was on. The uh-huh. hotel we stayed in, the bunker system connected over to Hitler's bunker underground. I mean, uh-huh. it was all there, and and I mean, we lived in Waterloo, Belgium, where Napoleon was defeated. I mean, right, right. you could go to the farmhouse where he they still have the table the where he played the battle. It was all, it's all there. So, <laughs> I just I got hooked. I got yeah. hooked like crazy. How could I not be? You know, yeah. so we went to all these places. There was a guy from our church that was in Dutch intelligence in World War II. Oh. And he was part of the whole, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie A Bridge Too Far. No. Mm-mm. It was a three airborne drops. It was in Band of Brothers as well, but okay. Bridge Too Far is this huge movie in 76. Like the, the who's who of of actors, Michael Keane or, or, or Michael J. Not Michael J. Fox. Michael Kane. Michael Caine, yeah, yeah. Bigger names, Michael Caine, right. Robert Redford, uh, uh, my God, I came, Ryan O'Neill, it was just John uh, Connery. It was the who's who of right. celebrities acting this, but it was this really failed invasion of taking these three bridges and going into the Netherlands, and the British got the short end of the stick, and it was Montgomery's plan, and he got them all killed. But anyway, we did all this when I was in junior high with this guy that was part of the intelligence operation there with my father. So huh. from a really early age, I was doing all that. So yeah, when I got to UNO... Um, I was taking courses, and I, had, I got to take a class under Stephen Ambrose. And I, he was just awesome. This old salty dog up there, right. you know, just this what year was voice. God, I don't even remember. I would say early 90s. Early 90s, Early okay. to mid-90s. Because when
0: did he die? He died around 2000, didn't 2001
2: he? 2001 or two, I want to say. I was okay. teaching school, and I found out so he was already it. a
0: celebrity, basically, by 1990. Not y- not, oh, not about was, to become no. one. Okay. It was before. So he was only was, a celebrity like 10 years or less. Huh? He was
2: a celebrity after Band of Brothers. Okay. When, that, when Tom Hanks bought the rights to that, I was working with him at the time. This was after being a teaching assistant for him and all that. But Tom Hanks bought the rights to that book. Uh, he also bought Citizen Soldiers. Ambrose had three books on the bestseller list at the same time. He had Undaunted Courage, Citizen Soldiers, and then Band of Brothers was doing well, too. But he bought Brand of Brothers, and I think he had read it while he was researching for his role in Saving Private Ryan. I oh. don't remember the exact story, but that's when it really just blew up. But Undaunted Courage was was if I'm not mistaken, that was a big one. But then when Saving Private Ryan came out, Spielberg brought on Stephen Ambrose and, and Ambrose trekked around with him on these press junkets and he was, you know, this is a historical film, all that, just making sure everything went right.
0: Okay, so when were you involved with Ambrose? So like before this and then through some of this or before this? I was
2: before when as a teaching assistant, then I became his personal manager um, and and just worked in the office handling fan mail and, and I coordinated his schedule on his you know, he he would go all over the place like trimming
0: his toenails and like what are you doing? No, no, no. I would uh, <laughs> like walking his dog.
2: <laughs> I did that. I've done that before, yeah. Um no, like handling his mail and his schedule. So he wow. would get like all everything. These, he was making several thousand dollars a lecture. Wow. No band, great, great gig as a musician. You know, not towing <laughs> around a band or anything, it's just him. And uh, he he would go do the lecture and I would coordinate, you know, okay, someone cut him off, so he doesn't look like he's the rude guy at certain points, whatever, and and uh, I would coordinate from A to B to C to, all the way down the line. So how long did that done. last? How many years
0: did you do that? I was
2: on for about six months, and then he was in an accident. He was injured and couldn't couldn't write, and or he had all these writing obligations. So he was doing rehab. I used to drive him on that, that road that's now the Stephen Ambrose Parkway. Oh, First wow. time I saw it, I got all choked up. I was like, Dad, because he was he was an awesome awesome figure to me. He was just a, he was a mentor and a friend. But I would take him to uh, therapy sessions and slide out physical therapy. But he wrote my letter of recommendation. Actually, I wrote it, for but what? he made me write it. And I was like, "Okay, when am I going to get this?" T- that he personally sent to Steven Spielberg for me to go work on Band of Brothers. Oh, so you did after that, right? So you, I yeah. did. I took that job and went to L.A. and all that right. started like a, this trick and all, that whole direction. So, so
0: what did you do for Spielberg?
2: I was a researcher on that.
0: Okay, so you're going to the library every day. What do you like? What does um, that look like?
2: Calling, talking to veterans, making sure stories were straight, like the stories about story about Spears gunning down a bunch of soldiers, some of these guys are really reluctant to talk, but having grown up over there, and going all these battlefields at such an early age, and I read every book I could, my allowance money was always on that, so it just made sense, and I got into that, and, and, uh, I could, I could just relate to them, some of the screenwriters, some were great guys that really understood it, but other ones were, were more political creatures, and there's a, an ugly side to Hollywood, I don't care how great the story is, whatever, but, I mean, there, there were some things that one would see on that and go, oh, my God, not on such a great show, but it's, it's Hollywood. But so I you're would,
0: interacting mostly with the screenwriters? Is that what you're uh, doing? With the, with the veterans. With the veterans, And then okay. with the
2: screenwriters. But if they had something right. for me like, uh, find out what happened in this or that case, and, I would talk, and they, would just, they would do the transcriptions of all the conversations. and So I'd just talk to these guys for hours. And then getting them wow. to give, deliver photos to us about, you know, what does this look like? What did that look like? And on and on and on. How so, long did, did that gig last? That was like a six-month gig. Okay, cool. But then, and then in the process of that, like, of, I always had this like right brain, left brain split about these two interests. But all the while, while doing that, while while working as a teacher in law, even I was always doing restaurants as well. Wait, 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 teacher of law? No, I was a teacher, but I was my mom and others were saying, well, you should go into law. You're very smart. You're very capable. All that, and but I just didn't wasn't crazy about it when I saw what, what it did to people day after day and all that. I mean, there, there are certainly some great lawyers I know, but every time I worked in law, I was just like, you know, this is not what I want to do with my life. I want to be happy. I want to do things that I'm really passionate about. And I like the study of law. And I like the argument of law. But in terms of the, the day in day out practice, it's a whole different story. But I was always doing restaurant stuff at the same time on the weekends or whatever. Oh. Okay, so what do you the mean restaurant? doing restaurant yeah.
1: stuff on the weekend?
2: Well, I was just always working in restaurants. I loved hospitality. I loved. I mean, it's why I'm really happy about the tour company because it's kind of, it's pulling all of them together. But I, I always, you know, I never realized how much it affected me growing up in Europe because you just, what do you have as a, you don't have no any other way till you kind of get back and you have time to process through all that and realize how it's what it's done to you. But the restaurants were and, and food were always just amazing things for me and growing up overseas. You know, seeing all these. Different cultures and trying all this food. Um, my best friend, the, my best friends growing up in Belgium were from Peru. The, the, the mother was from Peru. The father was the vice president of ITT in Europe. He was from Brooklyn. Old school Italian American. So I had this awesome Italian American New York experience growing up with this family. But the mom would make all these insane South American dishes that I didn't even remember. And then Many later years, I ran into her, and we were getting some food, and I ordered some ceviche. David, when you were a little boy, I used to give you ceviche. And I didn't even realize half this stuff, just all the different influences I had. So food, I just, I started out on Bourbon Street at this little place there was a guy I was in college with at UNO who was making a ton of money, and I was like, What are you doing? What? And he was bartending, so you should come get a job. So I started doing that. What kind of place was that? Oh, uh, it was just a, it was a New Orleans restaurant. It's a shame it's not there anymore. It's called Seaport Cafe, but they had, a, oh, yeah. they had a New Orleans Dixieland jazz band, and it was awesome. Like the Sheik of Araby, these old cats from Shahmet, and it was just right. beautiful. Now it's all dairy shops. Yeah,
0: yeah. So what part of Bourbon Street was that? It was right in the middle of it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Four or five. I don't know. It was past Chris Owens before Pat O'Brien's. Somewhere in there. I can't remember what the name of the big spot is there, but I did that. Um, House of Blues. I did a couple other restaurants, but I was on the House of Blues opening team. And then they so had some really good training. I was started out as a waiter there before I started getting into the production side. But was a waiter and just loved it. But we had a really good menu at the beginning. So
0: that's when it, very, that's when it first started. Who was, started. The, chef? Very beginning.
2: Who was uh, the chef? Sam McCord. But we had Thai sticks. You had like a little hibachi on the plate with a cast iron skillet and a little sterno. And you had three uh, marsala ones and three curry ones with a peanut dipping sauce and a coconut or a curry dipping, oh, a yogurt dipping sauce. And you just had some really cool things on the menu. We started getting wine classes and I started to realize, hey, I, I kind of really like this stuff. So I did that for a bit, and then when I went to California, I kind of stepped away from that, but came back, and I was just like, you know, I'll never roll silver again. I'll never want to do all that. But then I found myself kind of having a hankering for it, and I was in Fort Lauderdale after I taught school for a bit, working for this guy whose mom was the Peruvian. He moved to Fort Lauderdale. You know, this guy who grew up, he spent 11 years overseas. He runs a big event company in Fort Lauderdale. He needed some help with some projects, so I went and was doing some legal work for a law firm there, but I started working in food again, and started working on weekends at this restaurant. Uh, Johnny V's, Johnny Vincennes, he's been on Iron Chef and some different challenges. Phenomenal wow. South Florida chef, phenomenal. We had a 50 cheese menu. We had wines that were 3000 4000 a bottle. We had, wow. it was, Fort Lauderdale was a, that, you talk about some money. People's boats there are worth more than the best houses here in New Orleans practically. Wow. It, it was pretty crazy. And when was that? That was somewhere in the 90s, after oh. Band of Brothers before moving back here. <laughs> okay, just,
0: and when did you move back here?
2: <sighs> New Orleans been back for about three years now. Three years, okay. I opened two restaurants here when I first came back. Which ones were they? Um, one was Mike's East
0: West. Oh, Mike's East West. I know that. That's on St. Charles, by uh, right off of Boydrus, kind of near Lafayette Square. Uh, it wasn't, they there's they, still well. There's something else now, different name, but I thought it was still Mike's or something.
2: Sunny, Jimmy Vegas, some some kind of Ruby Vegas, some sort oh, of okay. steakhouse. It's
0: all right. It, yeah, it had something. In so it was. That. Yeah.
2: I remembered them. I'd eaten there once when I'd been living here before. That was like
0: very like experimental and so forth. It was, right? was kind of weird. Mike yeah.
2: was Mike's a great chef. He's got yeah. some really great things, but I don't know that the vision or the the execution and and all that was. There. they. I mean, they They came in right as the Saints won the Super Bowl, so it was pretty... I remember I went there with my wife for lunch, and there was, like, shimmering curtains everywhere inside yeah. the restaurant.
0: It was kind of blocking your view of the rest of the restaurant, but you could sort of see through them, and it was, like, kind of odd. It it was like, a, why do I need my privacy here? What, what's going it it on? Had it had a lot different. of
2: potential to be really, like, this avant-garde, she-she sort of thing, yeah. but that area can also be a bit of a no-man's land right. because you're... Not not necessarily no man's land. I mean, Herb Saint is right there, and Herb Sanders does really well. Yeah, but, it's courthouses. But as a bar right or whatever, there. I mean, there's yeah. either you're close to the warehouse district or you're somewhere in the heart of the quarter. I don't know. So anyway, what was the other place you helped? Then start? I opened up uh, a place called Maison 923, which yeah, is what yeah, the yeah. chef de cuisine from from uh, right. That was Emeralds. very ambitious, and yeah, right. That was great, but there was just some 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 insane mismanagement in that end, and I just oh. got away from all that. And I, I mean, I was really loving fine dining, but there was just a lot of. So you went to, to Giacomo's from there. Well, that was a guy that was working under me that had been the wine director at Emeralds at some point, but he was a he was one of my one of the captains or whatever, and he was down there. I was actually going to go interview to go work at Oak. It was a management position right. there, and I was going to look to go work at
0: Oak, which opened what, maybe two years ago or so. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it
2: was right around that time, and I went and uh, my friend Randy, who lives right up the street from Giacomo's, right. was like Dave, just come just come in and apply, and he went up and yeah. talked to Jack, and uh, that was an insane experience. I mean, Jack, I've never right.
1: is that the first time you met Jack?
2: Yeah. In fact, I didn't even meet him when I got hired, and that angered a lot of the staff members at the beginning, because Randy you, you, had a really good rapport, because Jack had this reputation for being really tough, right. and that Jack could be erratic, and Jack could... I mean, I heard all these things about people saying, you know, watch out for Jack, watch out. Jack is an awesome guy. He's, he's a phenomenal owner. And I've worked, I worked for this restaurateur, Cindy Paulson, in Napa Valley for six months. She owns Mustard's Grill, and she had a great little place called Cindy's Backstreet Kitchen. But I've had a good... Broad cross section of things and seeing it on the ground level too, you know. Right. But so Jack, how, so how's that
0: different from opening a restaurant? What was it like to open a restaurant when you were when I, you were in, when you were there from the very beginning of uh, of Mike's East West and and uh, Maison?
2: Well, the, the gamble it goes it goes two ways. It's a, it's definitely a double edged sword. Anyone that's done it knows it. I mean, there's a lot of excitement and ownership in opening a place as House of Blues was. Phenomenal team spirit, great thing. I mean, first five years we opened, I was there, and it was just it was there was it was nothing there was nothing like it. And we still, like I said, we're family. But it was creating something that was really great. But in the case of something where you don't necessarily know how intelligent the owners or the direction is going to be or what decisions they may make, I mean, the the advantage is, as a waiter, you're going to get the right schedule. You're not going to have to grunt through 15 doubles and and brunches and all these shifts that you don't want to do. You're going to have the choice shifts right off the bat. If you're capable and, and all that, you'll have your Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night sort of thing, you know? So there was that. When I out to Giacomo's, and I'm working with guys that are 20 years younger than me, and I mean, I got hammered because they were just going to test me and tweak me and push me just to see, but I was not about to leave.
0: A place is always so busy. I mean, I've never been in it once or it wasn't completely full. So, well, that almost yeah. worked
2: against us because it's gotten so busy or had a reputation for being so busy that it's, it's, it's we've had in the last, in the two and a half years that I've been there, because I started in mid summer of two and a half years ago, we, because it'll be three years in July that I've been there. And we had, we've had days where it's just not nearly the speed we're used to, where it, people could have easily walked in and had oh. a table in 15 minutes. So I think that perception got so strong that people just thought, well, you know, oh, you got to go there, but be prepared. And people just kind of didn't think of it as an option to go and do.
0: Interesting. Oh. But he's
2: got a brilliant way that he runs the ship there. Like, there's, we have no management there. Oh, it's Jack and us. Huh. And it's some kind of hybrid of Lord of the Flies meets uh, meets Little House on the Prairie. I don't know Wait, how Lord to of the... explain that. I'm
0: sorry, <laughs> how is it? Like... I never... I don't think of Little House on the Prairie when I think of uh, Jack. Like what has that Little House on the
2: Prairie? Jack is like he's a really good owner. He really cares about the so staff. So he's like Michael
0: Land in that way. Is that what you're getting? Yeah. At? Okay. No. All right. Yeah,
2: but he's got his little his little side that that everyone knows him for and loves him for. So Jack really he fits the bill. I mean he's. One of my favorite scenes of him—it was St. Patrick's Day—and there was some guy going up and down Oak Street with a bagpipe, and and he was practicing this. I think he was setting himself up for it. I don't know the whole deal, but he, you know, leading up to St. Patrick's Day, and sure enough, it was St. Patty's Day, and he put on his kilt, and I don't even know if—Wait, Jack did? No, no, no. This guy. Oh, in this guy. Okay. He doesn't say Jack's Italian. Street. He's not. <laughs> well, I don't even—I don't even know if the Irish play bagpipes. Maybe they do, but I mean, I'm—I'm I'm a Campbell, this. Like, I know the Scots do. But anyway, who cares? He's coming up the street in a bagpipe. That's close enough for most Americans. Yeah. Jack's like, "Come in here!" Grabs a bottle of Jameson, stack of go cups, and goes stomping off into the back like the little travelocity you know, troll, you know the guy, with the bagpipe guy behind him. And come on, everybody, and just pouring shots. I mean, but that guy, like people love Jack. I mean, he, yeah, I mean a, a restaurant is very reflective of the kind of owner it has, and I've worked for many different people, and. You know, there are people that say, oh, I know this story about Jack, that story. Like, he's he's good. Like, he's a good guy. And that, well, that's Let me ask you a question like, about yeah.
0: him. And don't say anything. You don't answer anything you're not comfortable sure. with. Sure. But the, um, uh, I've never been there late. I've been to Giacomo's a dozen times, but I've never been there after about 7 or 8 because I always try to go early to get a table or else we're going over way to Maple Leaf or whatever. Me. Does he make it to the end of the night because he's so high energy early on? Like, is he around at, like, midnight and stuff running around a restaurant he the has, same way?
2: He, Sometimes he doesn't make it. Sometimes he does, and if he does, it's, it's pretty impressive because he, he does. I mean, and I can see where working for, I don't know how many, he opened in 96 now. What, how many years is that? Something like that,
0: yeah. So it would be 17 years, yeah. That's
2: a lot of time and that many people, but he still has, he still gets it and he still loves it. But to go through that long, or he'll go upstairs, and he's got a gorgeous office upstairs. Just, it's beautiful. That is a beautiful leather couch and all of his cookbooks and everything. And he really is a foodie. He's a huge foodie. Right. And, uh. And he trained and jump under in. Chef
0: Austin here in New Orleans too. He's a big iconic. Leslie, yeah. 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 In
2: fact, and, and I didn't say this either, but here's a, here's an example of how great Jack is. So I started this tour company up, and he knows me enough, and he's seen my interest and my passion. And the great thing about working at Jack was we have all these foodies that come through, and he uh, he is going to come on this tour, and he's going to cook a meal. We're one of the stops. A lot of people do these history tours, but. I got to do a tour for the Wounded Warrior Project last summer. And I had the board of directors, the CEO, the CFO, and four amputees. Here in New Orleans? No, in Europe. Oh, we in Europe, did, okay. We did Verdun and Bastogne. Wait, so, so Jack's going to go to Europe? Jack's going to Europe on this trip with what? me. in the
0: world? Okay. And we're
2: going to cook for the staff and the wounded at the hospital in launch where these guys come in off the plane, mangled beyond belief, from Iraq and Afghanistan. And that's part of the trip. That's going to be one of our When's events. Do, when are you doing that? May 29th to June the 9th. Is that booked already? It's filling up, and it's, right. I'm keeping it small. But we'll have I've have just a link been getting the word on out on it. Website, yeah. I'll, I'll give that to you. Yeah, I've wow, been finishing up the details on it, but it's beer and battlefields. Wow, so, so is Giacomo going to be able to function without him there
0: with no management? Yeah, yeah.
2: He's he's <laughs> done well with his staff. Like okay. the, the, co- the kitchen, I've never seen a kitchen handle that. I mean during Jazz Fest, we have tables outside. We have tables across the street in Frenchie's art gallery. We have tables upstairs and the office in, in the truck. Office, yeah. in the truck. <laughs> I've eaten well, that you,
0: table in the truck before. That's kinda you cool. Put
2: tables in the gallery across the street. I mean right. we're running food across the street. I mean picnic table but it's just it's it's this zoo and and, the, and and you were asking about, you know, going early or late, but to me late early you get the people that are very meticulous and I mean it's cool because the restaurant evolves through the night as well. Uh. because you'll have like you know, each kind of segment comes through. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the, the early birders will come in early, you know? And then, and then and that, and those are great people. And there'll be foodies that are like, we're not missing this. You know, they want to enjoy it. But as you get later, and then you have people that don't know what they're getting into when they come to Giacomo's, and they'll go to the bar and start drinking, waiting for a table. Bad idea sometimes if you're not ready for it or you're a rookie. So by the time they get seated, they can be a little bit, you know, carried away. Or, oh. and, or even get <laughs> to be on that where they're just like, Fried chicken, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but then you have like the later night crowd. But it's actually really enjoyable at night, and you know we're up. But we don't have a closing time. Jacks yep. doesn't close till the last ticket leaves the window. Oh. Huh, so what time
0: is that usually? You never know. Now is that earlier I or like later that. on Tuesday it's, nights? He's a brilliant. You have, he's a brilliant owner. You Have everybody I mean, going over to Maple Leaf. Is that, does that make it close earlier or close later? Later, because
2: you get a lot of people that'll come eat late because it's, Maple Leaf doesn't start till like ten o'clock.
0: Oh, so that people right. would
2: come and eat, or even just knowing, and they'll go catch the second set, whatever. But Tuesdays are great nights there for that. Now what's
0: your favorite thing to eat there? Do you ever get sick of the cornbread? The cornbread's amazing. I could eat that cornbread yeah, forever. Pretty, is it possible to get sick. sick of it? Like if you eat it every night?
2: Um, I, yeah, I guess I don't. I know I don't eat the cornbread every night. Like I'm
0: craving it right now. Just thinking about it.
2: I, I'm responsible for making people addicted to it, but we put a lot of butter on that stuff. But that's the best cornbread in
0: the planet, I think.
2: Yeah. Uh, favorite dishes. I mean, I've been there for three years, and they're. There are four dishes that I quote all the time, but my favorite's the pan-fried drum with pecan uh, mm-hmm. Just, I've never had a piece of fish like that. is right. like a... And I, I, I say it a certain way, and it's not necessarily in what's in the dish, like in terms of larger to small, but mm-hmm. it's a, a lemon, butter, a tiny bit of garlic that he cooks down right. and then strains out because it's still a clean sauce, uh. white wine, Worcestershire, but the drum, you know, just a super smooth light fish, and then we crumble candied pecans mm. over it. And you've just got about three, four flavors rolling through each bite. I mean, it's just, it's magnificent. Fried chicken is out of this world. It's yeah. the perfect salt and pepper crust to it, and it's like a mm. four-step process for how they we batter and fry it, including like a wash it goes through with a tub with. Ice cubes with milk and salt, and pepper that kind of seals it. It's like wait, a
0: wait a second. So the, the bathtub's full of ice. It's
2: a tub. It's a it's a it's, a, it's a little lexian, whatever. A little metal oh, pan with.
0: Oh, it's not no, a no, bathtub. No, 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 no. I'm picturing like a clawfoot bathtub in the yeah, back. Yeah. Well, people are peeing and next to it, and they're like the milk. slapping chicken through it. Okay, <laughs> that's a little less dramatic. But no, so, okay.
2: and then he does a steak that is just a mind blower. If you get the beauty of blue cheese and red meat. Oh, and Red onion. Yeah, yeah. Carpet bagger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, the, I get that a bunch. Oysters inside. Love that. That's that. that's my standard. a red onion, a whole slice with the blue cheese, yeah. and then we do a oh, quail man. that's oh, pretty insane as well. It's stuff for the wild okay, mushroom you, flog. Okay, on. You, got, you got to stop
0: this, Marco, sure. or I'm gonna I'm gonna die. Give him the book of questions. I can't hear okay. more about that food. That's making me too hungry. This
1: we ask you, what is your favorite number? Three. Three. You
0: didn't give him the range. He might have thought it was one uh, to ten. All right, well he's sticking with three. One to two hundred
1: seventeen, but three. Why three? While well,
2: I'm. Uh, Why three? I don't know. The Trinity. I was just going to say the trinity. Things come in (laughs) threes. I was actually just, it's sticking in my head a lot too because I've been doing work. I'm about to finish up my website and I was talking to my graphic designer about some of the things. And I had the layout of pictures because I'm putting in all these photos of all the tours I've done on my website. And it takes a lot. I've got a lot of content. And she said, threes are best. Everything, threes, like visually everything, threes. Threes are, threes are stronger. Threes, I'm the middle of the lower half of my family. There's six kids in my family, but I'm the middle of the lower three. You know, the, so I, I don't know three's stronger stools whatever three
1: okay if you at. like this question then you can add three it does have power okay if you were to die this evening with no opportunity to communicate with anyone what would you most regret not having told someone and why haven't you told them yet
0: you can tell them now if they're listening yes. Well,
2: you know what?
1: You don't have to die tonight. To, to
2: uh, I've lost. Oh, we can arrange that. No, I I've lost three best friends since since high since like from junior high or even earlier than that, before I was twenty five, before thirty, and I think it really had a, enough of an impact on me, even with travel and all that as well. And I saw the way my mom reacted to her losing her mom, so I think I've always tried to keep that on a, on the right level as much as possible. So I don't really feel like. There's anything that's kind of part of my nature. If I ever am at odds with somebody, I want to make things right. I don't, like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't believe in letting the sun go down, your anger, or differences, or anything else. So I don't really have, I can't think of, there may be 500 people that have something to say to me. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, Dave? But I, I, I really try to keep everything in good shape. So I'm always thankful for my mom and dad. Like they, Especially with this tour thing and all and realizing how much of an influence they both had on me and kind of seeing it all finally come together. I feel like I'm 21 all over again because it's like you know these people that knew what they wanted to do when they were 21. I'm like, how the hell do you know what you want to do when you haven't seen half of the world out there yet? You know, for me, taking this long, but it's it's been it's a beautiful it's been a beautiful thing. So.
0: Now, do you have a family? Do I have one of my own? No. Oh, okay. Just I just wonder if you drag them along on all these adventures, because it sounds like you've no, been all, I mean, all over the place. No, I mean, thank God okay. I don't.
2: I don't know if I could have done all the things that I've done. You know, it's right. been... I guess I'm getting to a point now that I'm honing in on that, that that's something that could come up. But right now, I'm just... I'm, I'm too excited about getting this thing off the ground. Right. That's, that drives me. So, yeah.
1: Well, that's wonderful to, to not have any... Regrets or things left unsaid. I mean,
2: there may be regrets, but in terms of things I couldn't say before I went, is there a regret thing in there? Is there anything I regret that I didn't do?
1: Well, it just said, "What would you most regret not having told someone?" But you you answered that you didn't. But uh, if if there was one regret, what would it be? Is that too heavy for? uh,
2: No, the regret of something I didn't say to someone. Well, it doesn't have
1: to be. uh, Just regret for something you did. Say or do that you would like to. I
2: think for a lot of my life, I lived with regret about things that at, at the time didn't make sense to me. Um, I left the Marine Corps. I was a semester away from becoming a second lieutenant in the Marines. Some full scholarship at Tulane, and I walked away from it all. I was raised in a really religious family, and then I had this military interest. And suddenly, in like my senior year of school, these two currents of me started splitting me right down the middle. And I, you know, all this, you know, a lot of people are very comfortable with the. Military, like a lot of people that are first ones to say, you know, war, God, troops, country, and it tends to be people that can be pretty heavily religious. And for me, as I began to do more of the studies of that, I started to see Christ as a pacifist. So uh, it kind of really wrestled me. And the summer before I became was supposed to graduate and get commissioned, I, uh, I, I I didn't I I had a hernia, and I listened to Aaron Neville's uh, cover of Bob Dylan's "With God on Our Side," and it talked about all this stuff of history. And my dad was a hardcore patriot, you know. Devout Southern Baptist, but also was a Marine, and he never saw. It was all black and white to him, and I just started seeing a ton of gray, and I literally just crumbled. And then later, I ended up going to seminary, and that lasted six months because I mean, all my military history right. reading was like, you cannot believe that God knows all the numbers, the heroes on your head, and all these other things when you've known how many people have died, the way they've died, all that. Like if you read about Verdun and the Battle of Verdun, and over 900,000 casualties in 10 months of fighting over 25 square miles of land, not even 25 square miles. I mean, you you get into this and when you hold hands with stuff that can be that heavy, it's it's it'll really just grab your throat and it's hard to let go of, and I just wanted to know. But I think that that finally getting to a place where I can see it all and make peace with it all, including my faith and my background and even the issues I have with it, that it was okay to ask questions, that, that it, it took a while to get there, but hmm. to finally be there is like, <laughs> phew, you know, like, This is, and and doing this tour and starting to kind of feel like I'm fitting in my niche. And as people have heard about this and started to see the reviews on it, and it's all foodies that are really interested in this, from Hank at the Maple Leaf to the head of the St. James Cheese Company. And we've got some really great people that are, like, looking to doing this and doing some partnerships in terms of food tours. Nanu, I I talked to Nanu, by the way. He wants to be on your show in April. Oh, oh that'd be awesome. great. We'd love I to talk to him in the car. It was just last minute. So. All right.
0: Well, we got to wrap up in a second, but I have one more question sure, for you. Sure, so sure. Well, I got a 50 more questions, but there's one that's popping in my head again. Go ahead. So you climbed the GNO bridge three times. What's I did. that like? Is that is that legal? No. Wow. Uh, we did it when
2: the. Is bef- it is it is it fatal? Is it often fatal? No, Has that's anyone not else part of your
1: tour. It? No, it was all. <laughs> I, actually
2: I led three expeditions up there. The first time I did it, and then on my in natu- true to my nature, I led two more expeditions. What do you
0: use to climb the GNO Bridge? Do you have tools? No, no, no. You do you barehanded? What's going my on? My
2: parents lived on the West Bank. I would go across the bridge every so often. I was living in Mid-City. I had a roommate that was a road crew for Temple. He was here getting his Master's in uh, Physical Education or Master's of Education at UNO. And uh, we'd go over the bridge, and uh, we would look and check out the, the the new bridge that was you know was built and finishing up, and they had the roads but they had the, the right side of the lanes were, were not yet open. They mm. were closed off. And you could see on the outside of the main girders, you can see these alt stag staggered uh, sections of ladders going up mm. with the cage around the back. And you couldn't follow this thing if you tried. Mm. You'd literally have to jump like six inches off the back of the rung and do like perfectly straight. <laughs> You'd only fall 20 feet and hit the platform of that. So we could see that we could climb it. So one day, what, is, what the easiest way to get a male to do anything is to call him up. A nice, not a nice one for a female, for a a, cat.
0: Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait, Don't make him do it. We have it. This will be the first episode we've ever had where somebody didn't swear.
2: My well, buddy I said, didn't force them to "My swear. buddy said, don't he be a it. pussy." Or Dave, what? Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, now we've done it. <laughs> so I, so I was like, okay, fine. Or like, I tried oh, no, to have no, an no like my kids We to. Them. Did you wet your panties or something? I was like, okay, you want to climb this thing? So we parked. We went. We <laughs> ran up the off ramp. Got out. We climbed up. I was like, we could climb out on the girders, and there's the city. Of, it was the most. It's the most amazing view of the city. It was amazing. We had, you did had it camera. three times. Well, I did it. And I came back and I was telling people about, and like, oh, that's a bunch of crap. There's no way. I'm like, dude, I'm. Telling, we want to do it. We want to do it. And I was in the Marines. I was in ROTC. All that. It was after I'd gotten gotten out, but my friends were still in. So, I did two more expeditions to the top. So of the you're branch.
0: like New Orleans version of that French Spider Man. No. The guy that like climbed the up, Eiffel Tower and we stuff. We spent every yeah. summer
2: in the country in Central Louisiana. I climbed every tree there was. I mean, I, lo- I It's ah. just why not? I did the I did the tower right behind uh, <laughs> the Hard Rock Cafe as well in the, in the French Quarter. I challenged a friend oh. of mine to do it, he did it. I couldn't let him do it and I do it myself, so I had to go with him. But that huge electrical tower that yeah, gigantic yeah. one. So it's got a big thing. I gotta think of now. some
0: other things for you to climb now. This is good. There's nothing around here though. What would it be here? You could climb the you could climb the beer mug. <laughs> it's,
2: <Yeah>. not <laughs> no, it's not spinning It's not spinning tonight. My climbing days are over. All right.
0: Well, uh, they're scraping down the grill now in the back in the in the kitchen, so I think we need to close. But it's been so wonderful having you. Thank you. Our special guest tonight is uh, on Midnight Menu. I'm not gonna call it Midnight Menu plus one tonight because we our plus one didn't show tonight. So this will yep. this is a special edition of just Midnight Save Menu. The, the, the yeah. Well, the you bus. are wonderful. We but don't yeah, you you're about four. We don't need so. no
1: Stinking plus one
0: tonight <laughs> <laughs> when we got a David Campbell. All right, so it was, he's a it talker. Was, it was David, yep, yeah, it was David Campbell of GBC Tours. And you can find out more about David's GBC Tours on our website. You can follow some links there on itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live at Ted's Frost on Claiborne Avenue in Calhoun in Uptown New Orleans. Ted's is open seven days a week, serving first-class burgers, beer, and their awesome homemade root beer in a frosty mug, recipe from 1927. Midnight Menu Plus One is produced by Grant Morris. Brian Ruiz is our technical director. You can get in touch with us here at Midnight Menu Plus One by going to our website, itsneworleans.com. From there, you can follow us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, and sign up for our mailing list. And while you're at itsneworleans.com, you can listen to other episodes of Midnight Menu Plus One as well as our other shows, Happy Hour, Mindset, True to the Game, Win Win, and After Lunch. If you're listening to the show on iTunes, thanks for subscribing, and maybe you could just take a minute to rate and review us, and I'll help other people find us. Midnight Menu Plus One is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. So we meet again here at Ted's Crosstop. I'm Ray Kanata.
1: And I'm Margo Moss.
0: Good night.